Hey, uh, good morning, everybody. If you want to grab a seat. I know some of you are feeling really gypped. We, we shortened our break today, but I'm so glad you're here. <clears throat> Happy Easter to you all. Um, I, I am with Caleb. Uh, so glad that you're with us either in person or uh, if you've joined us online. We're glad about that. By the way, thank you uh, to all who submitted art pieces. So you can see on some of our walls, uh, pieces of art, uh, creations, uh, everything from sculptures to compositions, uh, beautiful stuff uh, to celebrate Easter and Lent. So great. Probably the uh, most interesting piece was from Efe. Um, some of you saw this last week. It's a creative piece he made featuring uh, some of our staff team. Uh, take a look on the screen. <laughs> this is what he, what he came up with. Uh, some of you aren't Lord of the Rings fans, so this you're just not getting this at all, but uh, turns out, I make a pretty good-looking Gandalf, I think, is who I'm supposed to be there. Uh, doesn't F.A. know that uh, Aragorn is who I really wanted to be with a big sword? But uh, I really like, uh, we got Frodo, Kevin Frodo, and uh, I, I'm not quite sure. I think Marnie might be um, Legolas. We're, we're not sure. It's so, so great. Um, thanks, F.A. He's gifted that to the church, so we're going to have it in the sanctuary every week from here on and henceforth. <laughs> Or maybe just my office. Um, you can come and visit my office, and, and it'll be in there, I'm sure. Now, I know some of you are saying, like, what does Lord of the Rings have to do with Easter? It's a good question to ask F.A. next time you see him. It's, it's a bit of a stretch, yes. <laughs> but it is interesting. For probably about the last 10 years or so, our family on Easter weekend from Good Friday through to Easter Monday, we watched the Lord of the Rings every year around this time. And it always seemed to fit because... Lord of the Rings, if you've seen it, A, it's really long, but it's this grand, epic story. And friends, there is simply no grander, no greater, nor, no more epic story than the story of Jesus Christ, who went to the cross, was buried, and rose again on the third day. There's no greater story than that. And we celebrate Jesus today for all he's done. It's the pivot point of our faith and as we've already said this morning, we can say it again, he is risen. He truly is. Now, I titled my message today, Resurrection Meal. I, I just love the fact that, that food and feasting play such a central role in the Bible, in all of Scripture, actually. In the Old Testament, you're, we were regularly told by God to feast, to celebrate. And, and then in the Old Testament, and the New Testament, pardon me, you go right to the very end of the, the Bible and... You've got the resurrection happening, the resurrection pictured, and what is it pictured as? A wedding banquet, another feast. I love it. And, and I can't help but think of Jesus on that soon after he rose from the dead and he bursts into the upper room where his disciples were afraid and wondering what was going on, and uh, he breaks into their midst, midst, he offers them peace, and then what does he ask them? It's really quite a surprising question. Do you have anything to eat? <laughs> Do you have something to eat, boys? Can you, can you imagine that? Oh, it's so good. Other disciples on the road to Emmaus, they were so downcast and brokenhearted at the loss of their Savior. And as they're walking along the road, Jesus sidles up beside them, but they are so brokenhearted they can't recognize him. When do their eyes get open to the reality of Jesus in their midst? When he breaks bread with them and eats a meal with them. Think about this for a bit. 
what would life be without food? I, I know you think I ponder this question a lot. I really don't. But think about this. What a wonderful gift our taste buds are. Mealtime. <laughs> Preach it, he says. Mealtime is this amazing place where our need for food and pleasure kind of meet up together. You know, think again, what, what would a wedding be without a banquet? Or, or Christmas or Thanksgiving or even Easter without some sort of feast uh, celebrated with turkey or ham or some kind of curried something, right? Uh, biryani today for us in our household. Yum, yum, yum. What would summer be without a family barbecue? Uh, eating seems to play uh, an important, if not central role to almost every social and family gathering. It's this daily thing for many of us. It's not even on special occasions. It's just kind of regular, right? We do it day in, day out. We eat together. For many, it's the primary place in their family context for communication. It's when you actually talk. One of the first hurdles in marriage is trying to figure out this eating deal. Who's going to cook and who's going to clean and so forth. Mealtimes are so important that anthropologists make the case that when one knows what, where, how, and with whom a person eats, one can understand the nature of that society. They say so much of who we are as social beings is determined by, by this repetitive pattern in this common daily event. Such things as who sits where, you know, who prepares the meal, who serves, who eats first, who serves first, what's served, what's not, and who dominates or directs the conversation. One scholar, Simon Holt, goes as far to say that in all societies of the world, ancient and modern, eating is a primary way of entering into and sustaining relationships. And get this, the word companion comes from the French and, and Latin words that mean one who eats bread with another. Fascinating to me that Jesus was both affirmed and condemned for his eating habits. In Luke 7, Jesus responded to some of his critics with these words. He said, John the Baptist came kind of fasting, neither eating nor drinking wine, and you say he has a demon. But myself, that the son of man, came eating and drinking, and you say, there's a glutton, there's a drunk, a friend of tax collectors and sinners. They said this of Jesus, by the way, because there was some truth to it. I, I, I suspect that Jesus actually enjoyed eating, like he actually enjoyed a good meal. He was human, just like you and me. I, I, I would have loved to have eaten with him. Um, but at the same time, he also would eat with anyone. He ate with Pharisees who he routinely criticized for their hypocritical behaviors. He also ate with tax collectors and sinners who are known for their waywardness or their unjust lifestyles. And then there were just simply incredibly important events that happened at mealtimes. Jesus recorded his first miracle at a wedding where they'd run out of wine. He turned the water into wine. There was the miracle of Jesus feeding the 5,000, and not long after, the feeding of the 4,000, and then the feeding of the 3,000. Actually, that isn't in the Bible. We even have fast food in the story of Jesus. You know, the disciples walking along, and they're picking grains of wheat on the Sabbath, and then there's Jesus looking for figs in a fig tree. This is not my son's ideas of fast food, by the way. 
And then most beautifully, the risen Jesus hosts a brunch on a beach offering barbecued fish to his closest friends. And it was over that meal that Jesus reaffirmed his friendship with Peter and uh, restored him and commissioned him for ministry. Peter, who had just denied Jesus days before. Such a grace over such a meal. And of course, there's Jesus' most remembered meal. We call it the Last Supper that night before Jesus would go to the cross, where Jesus talked about the significance of the sacrifice that was to come in just hours, comparing his body given and his blood shed to common bread and to, to wine. It's a practice that churches imitate all over the world to this day. And we'll do it today. We'll do it in a few minutes. Now, I'm a long-time follower of Jesus, and uh, I love the fact that I, I sense this invitation from Jesus often to eat a meal with him, to include him in our mealtimes. But there's something, I, I think there's something so profound that happened at many of the meals Jesus hosted that has prof profound significance for you and for me. Eugene Peterson, who was the author of the Message Translation of the Bible, years ago introduced me to the writings of English monk, uh, Anglican, uh, Dom Gregory Dix, Gregory Dix calls our attention to a specific activity that happened at many of the meals that Jesus hosted. Several times we have a, a sequence of, of four verbs of what Jesus does at me meals. The first was really at the feeding of the 5,000. When Jesus had seated these thousands, it would have been probably more like fifteen to 20,000. They only numbered the men. Uh, he'd seated them on the ground. He got everybody together with just this five loaves and two fish. And Matthew shares a story like this. Taking the five loaves and the two fish and looking up to heaven, Jesus gave thanks and he broke the loaves. Then he gave them to the disciples and the disciples gave them to the people. They all ate and were satisfied. The disciples picked up 12 basketfuls of broken pieces that were left over. The number of those who ate was about 5,000 men besides women and children. There were four verbs of what Jesus did. Took, blessed, broke, and gave. Then the second story is the feeding of the 4,000. Again, another huge crowd. Jesus is going to feed them as well. Again, a, a totally inadequate food supply, just seven loaves and a few fish. Mark tells us he told the crowd to sit down on the ground, and when he'd taken the seven loaves and given thanks, he broke them, and he gave them to his disciples to set before the people, and they did so. Third story is the Last Supper, where we're told while they were eating, Jesus took bread, he gave thanks, and he broke it, and gave it to his disciples. There it is again. Took, gave, uh, took, blessed, broke, and gave. And then again, Luke's Emmaus Supper, those two, two people that were walking along the road on the day that Jesus had died or, or risen, where it says, when he ate and sat with them, he took the bread, broke it, blessed it, and broke it, and gave it. These four verbs, these four words, as Dom Gregory Dix suggests, shape actually much of our Christian life. In fact, early on in the Christian community, it defined itself by this fourfold shape and has kind of continued the pattern ever since. Because in joining Jesus for a meal, we discover something wonderful.
resurrection life. Let's walk through each of these verbs one at a time. First of all, Jesus takes. He takes the bread that's at hand. Uh, the best image for me in that story, again, is the, the feeding of the 5,000. We're, we're told that Jesus, you know, looks at these crowds in this remote region where they were gathered, listening to Jesus teach. Jesus was healing. Just massive crowds. I, mean, I, I picture a hillside. We don't quite know where it was. And they say to Jesus, you know, his disciples say to Jesus, send them away so that they can get something to eat. They're kind of worried about this crowd that are going to get hangry if they, eat, they don't eat soon, Right? And their solution is, send them away. That's their, their, their idea of solving the hunger problem. Probably would have been mine too, actually, now that I think of it. Um, we, uh, we once had a dinner planned for 10. 10 young adults were supposed to come over to our house for an after-Sunday lunch, and 28 people showed up. And we were tempted to send them away too. At least I was. Um, God did a miracle, though, through Angel this time, and uh, stretched that. It was called, we call it now the Thai curry stretch. <laughs> but what Jesus is saying, he says, what he says to his disciples that day was, you give them something to eat. And they're like, what? You know? And they start scrambling, and they start looking among the crowds for anyone who might have anything with which to share. And Peter finds someone, and he comes back to Jesus. He says, Here's a boy with five small barley loaves and two small fish, but how far are they going to go with so many? What does Peter bring? A bag lunch from a boy, right? Barley buns, we're told, like small barley loaves. That tells us actually something. Barley was the, the poorest of the wheat. This would have been telling us that this was probably a poor child, a poor boy. So it's a meal, yes, but it's, it's actually not much of a meal. And as Peter aptly asked, but how far will this go with so many to feed? But Jesus takes it. He receives it. Friends, this is the amazing thing about Jesus. He always does this. He takes whatever we bring to him. He brings our equivalent of our bread, our, our fish. <laughs> he, he receives our virtues, our sins, our our work, our leisure, our plenty, our lack, our strength, our, our weakness. Every time we come to Jesus and we offer him not what we don't have, but when we offer him what we have, he receives it. He takes us. This is incredibly good news for us because it means we can come to Jesus no matter what we've done or left undone. Whatever trouble we happen to be in or whatever confusion we might have about life or whatever doubts we might hold or fears that might grip us, we can come confident that he'll actually receive us, that he'll actually take what we give. It might be our brokenness. It might be our shame or our sin. Jesus takes it. It's actually incredible hope for people like you and me. We, we come as we are, and Jesus receives us. I've always liked this about Jesus, that I never have to get sorted out before I come to him. Isn't that good news? Like, like we say, you can come as you are to him. 
I, I think I, we've been around this for a while, and that we maybe lost how good that good news is, that you don't have to get dressed up and polished up. There's no pose required. We just come. The second verb is Jesus blesses and gives thanks for what is brought. Now, I mean, this would have been a kind of a routine thing. It, it's, it's actually routine in our family. We say grace sometimes quite imperfectly in our home, but we say grace to this day. We give thanks for the food, and that was a common experience in Jesus' day, a, a typical prayer that would have been prayed by the host before the meal was served in Jesus' day was something like this. Blessed are you, O Lord, our God, King of the universe, who brings forth bread from the earth. Sounds a little more spiritual than the prayer my brother used to pray sometimes when we were growing up. You know, good bread, good meat, good God, let's eat. Any, anyone know that one? Yeah? Any, I, I don't think my dad was ever impressed by that prayer, by the way. Um, my dad was a pastor. And the other one was rub-a-dub-dub, thanks for the grub. Another deeply spiritual prayer of thanksgiving, right? So Jesus does this. He, he not only takes what we offer him, which is a grace in itself, he actually blesses it. And he gives thanks for it. Whatever we offer, Jesus lifts up in thanksgiving to God. Which means suddenly, the whole of God, the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit gets in on this offering. And notice what Jesus doesn't do. Jesus doesn't criticize or condemn the offering. He's not like, two fish? Are you serious? Barley? I can't stand barley. <laughs> Can you ever imagine Jesus saying that at a table? Jesus instead receives what we bring, whatever we bring, whoever we are, and he gives thanks for it. I love that. You know, some of us, I suspect that when it comes to our coming to God, I wonder if what we we're thinking is, will it ever be quite good enough? I mean, how can it be in a way? We're suspicious that it, what we offer won't measure up. If we, what, whatever we are won't measure up. I was reminded of this week of, of one of baseball's top players, uh, Keith Hernandez. Keith won a series, uh, a, a number of World Series. He was a league MVP. He was a championship outfielder, won the Golden Glove Award many times. He, he had a batting average lifetime that was 300. For you non-baseball fans, 300 is a phenomenal batting average. Yet with all he accomplished, he missed out on, on something that was crucially important to him, his father's acceptance and recognition. Listen to what he said in a very candid interview about his relationship with his dad. He says, one day I asked my father, Dad, I have a lifetime 300 batting average. What more do you want? My dad replied, someday you're going to look back on your life and say, I could have done more. Some of you know that storyline far too well. That, that could have been your story. Uh, some of us have this, this nagging sense that no matter what we do or or." how well we perform, we're never going to quite hit the bar, right? We're the target. We're never going to kind of reach it. And we spend our lives kind of trying, or, or we kind of 
feel futile and we give up and kind of despair around that. Sometimes it's, it's because of something that was said over you by, by an influential person. It doesn't have to be your parents, but it could have been a teacher or a friend, brother or sister. It could be a storyline that you repeat over and over again in your own mind. The tape just kind of plays and says you're never going to quite cut it. I know that storyline quite well, by the way. Having a sense of inadequacy seems to be a part of the human curse, doesn't it? A curse that Jesus wants to reverse in us. So not only does Jesus receive us, but he blesses and gives thanks for what we offer. We can come as we are, but we can actually be assured of his acceptance and his love. Makes me want to say so good. Amen? Third verb. Jesus breaks what we give him. He takes the bread that's offered and he breaks it. Funny, years ago, the, the Charles Schultz cartoon, uh, Peanuts, uh, in it, Lucy's seen saying, if, if she was in charge of the world, she'd change everything. And Charlie Brown says, that wouldn't be easy. Where would you start? And Lucy looks directly at him and without hesitation points her fingers at him and says, I'd change you. You see, while, while Jesus receives what we give him, he, he even blesses it and he brings the whole of it to, to God, but then he breaks it because he knows we need to change. <laughs> we, we're not meant to stay where we were. You see, Jesus' ultimate goal for, for each of us, for you and for me, is, and for our lives, and actually for the whole world, folks, is our redemption and our transformation into who we were made to be. You see, Jesus has dreams for us. Isn't that cool? He has dreams for you. And he wants to take those broken and proud and self-idolizing and self-sufficient parts of us. He wants to take that, those parts of us that are hardened and kind of crusted over. He wants to take that piece of me that is hurting me or it's hurting others. And he wants to heal it and he wants to make it whole. He wants to make things right. When you hear that old phrase, Jesus saves, this is what it means. Jesus, this is what Jesus wants to do. And, and he takes who we are as we offer it both our beautiful and our broken bits, and he begins leading us on this, what sometimes can be a painful journey of healing. One of my sons, when he was young, was quite accident prone. Yeah. <laughs> Not mentioning any names, Caleb. When he was about six or so, <laughs> he was quite bold. That's, that's part, like, like part of why he was accident prone, he was actually quite brave and fearless, and that's a great quality, son, but... Uh, he decided that he'd climb the cedar tree in our backyard. And uh, he did this quite successfully. He got up the tree, no problem. But his method for coming down the tree was basically to use his hands just to slide down the tree. You can imagine. And so he came down that tree, he came in crying because his hands were literally covered with these, these slivers that had gone deep into his skin, under his skin. Uh, something had to be done. And so mom and dad, great surgeons as they are, grabbed the, the safety pin, which we cauterized in the flame and, and tweezers, and we began the, the long and slow and painful process 
uh, of removing slivers from his hand, much to his protests and his tears. I laugh now, but it wasn't a happy task at the time. But we did it because we loved our boy. And we knew he couldn't stay like that. And friends, how much more does God care for us? And, and he knows about those things in our interior that just cannot remain, that, that cannot stay. They're, they're, they're simply incompatible with love and being loved. And God, in his care for us, he's got a heart to heal. And so, sometimes we think that the worst thing could happen to us, and, and, and it would be just the worst thing. I think of uh, a friend of mine, close for many, many years. Uh, he's a recovering alcoholic. And he regularly goes to AA. And he went initially to AA because alcohol was destroying his life. And he, he, he bottomed out. His life fell apart. But it was actually through AA that my friend met God. It was at the bottom that he had nowhere else to look. And he looked up and and, and, and he talks about how God, through this AA program, has, has walked him through a journey of recovery and healing that has been remarkable. But he says it never would have happened unless I hadn't been broken first. And when we give our lives to Christ, when we offer him who we are, friends, we are assured of his pardon, his forgiveness, and his love, his welcome. But Jesus wants to break through all our hard exterior, and he wants to bring us his healing. As the psalmist says, a broken and contrite heart, O God, he will not despise. Fourth verb, Jesus gives. Then Jesus gives back what we bring to him. But it's no longer what we brought, who we are, that, you know, this self that we offer to him at the table is changed into what God gives and what we sing of as amazing grace. Again, back to the feeding of the 5,000. Listen again to what happens after Jesus has broken the bread and the fish. It says in Matthew 14, Then he gave them to his disciples, and the disciples gave it to the people. They all ate and were satisfied. And the disciples picked up 12 basketfuls of broken pieces that were left over. I mean, there was not only enough to feed thousands of people... The disciples had take-home for later, right? A perfect COVID meal, by the way. Think about it. This, this story has time and time again blown my mind. A boy's lunch, a child's food, is transformed into a meal for the multitudes, for thousands. That's the kind of thing only God can do. This story has become quite personal to me over the years. I I've seen this in many of you, but I've also seen it in my own journey with Jesus. Sometimes on a Sunday morning before I get up here to give a talk, um, I envision what I'm doing as being like that little boy, bringing what I feel like is just five loaves and two fish, just a little meal, and I'm going, how can this feed anybody? Can bear I'll be hungry after eating this kind of thing. Sometimes, uh, I was telling somebody this week, sometimes it feels like I, I start out the week maybe preparing for a talk. I, I feel like I start out with five loaves and two fish, and people keep stealing loaves and fish along the way, week, you know, and I feel like, wow, <laughs> it's getting, getting pretty tight in here. And there have been times in my life where I feel like I'm so tired or compassion fatigued or living on fumes, and I 
still bring that piddly amount that I have and I offer it to God. And isn't it remarkable that on those mornings, it seems like God breaks through in a pretty spectacular way. I give him what I got and it seems like nothing and God blesses many through it. Isn't that cool? I I think it's the, the most amazing thing. There's a scripture that says, or I think it says it best, where God says, my power is made perfect in weakness. And he often says to me, my grace is sufficient for you, dear one. The funny thing is, is that when we give what we have to Jesus, he can do far more in us and through us than we could ever possibly accomplish ourselves. It turns out God is the great multiplier. He can take our little and what we might think of as insignificant and use it to bless others, to change eternities, and actually even to bring justice to our world. God does this. More importantly for me, years ago, I, I gave my life to Jesus. And that too wasn't much of a gift, actually. I was pretty lost inside. I was pretty messed up and not together. And yet when I gave my life to Jesus, I have been blown away by his grace toward me. I've, I've been stunned by the kind of meaning and comfort and friendship and, and the kind of life peace that has come from putting my life into God's hands. Whatever kind of sacrifice or surrender that God has asked for me, he's always poured back into me in abundance, far more than I could dream of or imagine. I know many of you have that kind of story. I'm I'm, I'm so glad that God has taken my little life and infused it with his love. I I just want to say, I I know this, friends, it's true. I, I want to promise you this that your life is not so broken and messed up that God can't take it and make something beautiful out of it. I believe that. He loves, loves, loves doing that kind of work. Four verbs around this resurrection meal. Take, bless, break, give. This is not only the pattern for our life with God, uh, it's also what Jesus embodied for us that first Easter weekend in himself. Jesus was taken by violent men, and he was brutally broken on a rugged cross. He was done, buried, finished. And yet, look look what God did with that offering. He blessed it. And Jesus rose again on that first Easter morning, rose from the dead, and through that conquered death and sin and offers salvation to the world. Jesus, taken, blessed, broken, given. Jesus doesn't just host a resurrection meal. He is the resurrection meal. In John chapter 6, not long after Jesus fed the 5,000, people were chasing after Jesus to do more miracles. They wanted to see more signs. They wanted to see more. They wanted to eat more food. And they caught up with Jesus, and Jesus answered him this. He says, very truly I tell you, you are looking for me, not because you saw the signs I performed, but because you ate the loaves and had your fill. Do not work for food that spoils, but for food that endures to eternal life, which the Son of Man will give you. For on him, the God the Father has placed his seal of approval. Jesus went on to say, It is my Father who gives you the true bread from heaven. 
For the bread of God is the bread that comes down from heaven and gives life to the world. Sir, they said, give us that bread. Then Jesus declared, I am the bread of life. Whoever comes to me will never grow hungry, and whoever believes in me will never go thirsty. I am the living bread that comes down from heaven. Whoever eats this bread will live forever. This bread, he says, is my flesh, which I give for the life of the world. This Easter, we celebrate the risen Christ who hosts us at the table, and he himself is the resurrection meal. And we can come to him just as we are. It doesn't matter what we've done or how little we have. He'll receive us. He'll bless us. He'll break us. And he'll give us the kind of life that is truly life, eternal life, he says. And so we're going to end the service today with a little meal. Um, we're going to reenact the Lord's Supper this morning. We're going to take bread and juice as a, a way to not only remember his life, but to nourish ourselves on him on his living presence, because he is risen. Amen. This may be an opportunity for some of you who've never given your life to Jesus. This would be a great morning for you to do that. Great, great opportunity. Simply offering him who you are. Come as you are. It doesn't matter who you are, what you've done. We come with all our baggage. You don't have to get sorted out first. And he promises to give us his life. And you can do that just with a, a prayer, just kind of saying yes to him and asking to, to, in, to, to invite him into your life, and he'll come. For some, this may be an opportunity for you to give yourself to him again in kind of a fresh way. Maybe uh, there's been a gift that you've kind of let go dormant, or, or perhaps... Um, Jesus has somehow become a side story to your life. And, uh, and Jesus is inviting you to, to offer your whole self to him once again. To give what you have, whatever it might be. Even your troubles. Even your sorrows. Even your pain. You can do that. Why not do that? Simply offer what you have this morning. Servers, would you now come on forward? We're going to, uh, I'll give you some instructions in a moment, but the Lord Jesus, on the night he was betrayed, he took bread, and when he had given thanks, he broke it, and he said, this is my body, which is for you. Do this in remembrance of me. In the same way, after supper, he took the cup, saying, this cup is the new covenant in my blood. Do this whenever you drink it in remembrance of me. Whoever eats this bread and drinks this cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. Let's just pause and let's pray for a moment. So Jesus, this morning we thank you for this resurrection meal. Uh, the, the bread and the cup that, that remind us of your great sacrifice, your, your love for us on the cross. Uh, but we also are reminded this morning as you hosted many, many meals that you take who we are and you receive us with joy, with thanksgiving. And you break us, not because you want to hurt us, but you want to heal us. And so, so whatever healing work you're doing in our lives today, I, Lord, we want to 
We want to receive that healing, Lord. We want to be whole and become kind of what you dream for us. And then you take what we are and what we've given and you use it to bless the world and to bless us. So Lord, we, we come this morning. We want to willingly join you. We thank you for these emblems and we pray that we might meet you this morning in them, that as we eat the bread and drink the cup, we would experience the living Christ. We pray these things in Christ's name. Amen. Our, our practice here is, is if you love Jesus and you want to love him more, communion is for you. Uh, and we invite you to come up one of these two uh, outer aisles and return by your seats. We'll, we'll encourage you, allow the people who are in the first rows to, to come and take and then return to their seats before the next row comes. Um, but uh, our servers will give you a, a cracker and juice, and if you could take it then and consume it at your seats, that would be ideal. These are the, the gifts of God for you in Christ, for the people of God. Come.